Understanding what we mean by calling Jesus king means taking a close look at the witness of Jesus' life, both in the gospel and in the sacramental way we experience his love for us and in our actions that help set the captive free. The Reverend S.D. Gardner Cantor discusses John 18, 33-37 in this last sermon of the church year on Christ the King Sunday. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. On this Sunday of Christ the King, we have heard three different readings that in very different ways describe the glory and the kingship of Jesus. Even the Old Testament passage has one, like a son of man, here it's translated as a human being, rising in clouds of glory and given dominion, glory, and kingship. And yet, we are speaking of the one that was born in a feeding trough. We are speaking of the one who rode into the city of his humiliating execution on a donkey We are speaking like the one executed as a common criminal. And we are speaking of the one who was born into the lowly, the oppressed, and the despised nation of Israel. And yet, Pilate asks him, are you king of the Jews? In John, even more than the other Gospels, it is emphasized that it is the Jews who have delivered Jesus to Pilate. It also seems to imply that there were throngs of people, throngs of Jewish people, calling for Jesus' execution. It always occurs to me, where were the hundreds of people, Jewish people, who he healed in those three years of his ministry? Where was the 5,000, if we were to believe the numbers of the feeding of the 5,000, who he fed with the loaves and the fishes? Well, the Jews tell Pilate that they are not permitted to execute anyone, the Jewish leaders. But this, too, seems puzzling to me, because in other circumstances, the Jews did actually execute people by stoning, believe it or not, a more merciful way to go than crucifixion. Why was it that John seemed to have so much more of a hostile attitude toward the opponents of Jesus than the other Gospels? Well... It was really explained to me when I was in seminary in a way that made a lot of sense to me uh, by my favorite New Testament scholar, Raymond Brown. And he explained it by going back to the beginnings of the Joannine community. He explains that a group of Jewish Christians around the time of the 70s or 80s AD uh, in or near Palestine had a fairly high Christology. They believed in Jesus as a Davidic Messiah, and they believed that he was divine, or at least they began to believe that. Among these people was a man who had come to be known as the Beloved Disciple, or John, and he became a leader of this group. But apparently a second group joined this first original group, and they had a different kind of concept of who Jesus was. They believed in him as a mosaic Messiah. In other words, like Moses, he had seen God, he had heard the words of God, and he came back and he shared the words of God with the people, but he was not God. For one reason or another, it seemed the second group gained power, 
and eventually they had the power to eject the first group from the synagogue. Now, this was a horrible time for everyone. Uh, It was a time after the temple had been destroyed, and for the Jews, not only their way of life, but their very religion seemed in danger of being extinguished. The Essenes were no more. Uh, Other sects that were Jewish sects that used to flourish in the mix were not allowed anymore. And uh, in a desperate attempt to ensure the survival of Judaism, the definitions began to narrow and narrow until a whisper of anything other than traditional Jewish monotheism was highly threatening. Uh, In chapters 9 and 16 of the Gospel of John, what is referred to is what seems to be a fate worse than death. The Greek word is aposynagogoi, and it means to be ejected from the synagogue. And this actually happens to a few people in the Gospel of John. Well, the writers of the Gospel of John were among those people who were ejected, and so it's easy to understand why they would have turned hostile to their former brothers. Only in the Gospel of John does Jesus refer to his Jewish brothers as children of the devil. Now, the early 2nd century Christian apologist, Justin Martyr, refers to Christians being cursed in the synagogue. And there's evidence from the Talmud that suggests there was such a specific curse used as early as the 1st century A.D. in the synagogues. It was called the blessing of the heretics, or the birkat ha-minim. And here it goes. Let the arrogant government, the Romans, be speedily uprooted in our days. Let the Nazarenes, the Christians, and the Minim, the other heretics, be destroyed in a moment. Let them be blotted out of the book of life and not be inscribed together with the righteous. So the background of the Gospel of John is not only the traumatic rejection of the Christian Jews from the synagogue, but also the use of of this blessing, with a blessing like this, who needs a curse, in the temple liturgy, so that if they tried to go to the synagogue, they couldn't bring themselves to say this curse, and so they weren't able to attend. So it seems apparent that the great hostility toward the Jews in the Gospel of John comes not so much as a huge difference between those groups as the bitterness of being rejected by their former brothers, being cast out of their own place of worship. And so now, in our gospel today, through the lens of the Joanine community, we have the Jewish Jesus in captivity, being taunted by a pagan authority while the Jewish crowd outside waits. In Pilate's quarters, Jesus is in captivity. Captivity is the great iconic source of the Jewish religion. The nation of Israel, of course, suffered captivity under the Egyptians, sustaining blows from the whip just as Jesus did. And his state is like that of the slaves. He is powerless. He is in the most vulnerable of circumstances. He is a prisoner being interrogated by a powerful, if slightly confused, questioner. He is being taunted. He has just been struck in the face. And he is about to be further tortured. In fact, there is a form called a chiasm, which is three sets of parenthetical stories that are identical and point to one story in the middle. And in the Gospel of John, the story that is pointed to is the description of Jesus' torture. He is flogged, the crown of thorns is forced on his head, and he is continually struck in the face. Now I wonder why do the the writers of the Gospel of John see this horrific session as the one that they want to focus our attention on? It could simply be further furies at the Jews trying to show us this is what they did to Jesus. Or it could be a hidden device to show that the brutal harm was done actually by the Romans. 
But to me, it seems perhaps it might be because the inevitable price of captivity is a horrible kind of pain, whether physical or spiritual. But even under the threat of torture, at least in the Gospel of John, Jesus is in fact articulate and specific about his purpose, his origin, and his kingship. In his discourse with Pilate, he moves very quickly from the earthly to the heavenly. You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And we are here reminded of the good shepherd. He knew all the names of the sheep, and all the sheep knew the sound of his voice. But then Pilate persists, and he asks, what is truth? Well, if Jesus knew him better, he probably would have said, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. He did this in a previous chapter, conjuring up for us the ancient Jewish name for God, Yahweh, or I am that I am. But surprisingly, he doesn't answer Pilate at all on this point. But I would venture to say that for many of us, the truth is, we are all captive in some way. And we all long for freedom. We all have our private inner torture and we all want out. When I was first learning the Eucharistic liturgy, I wanted to know exactly what every word meant. I was at first troubled by Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us, therefore let us keep the feast. Is it the Passover that sacrificed, I thought? How do you sacrifice a Passover? And then luckily I came to the understanding that Christ is our Passover, is and was our Passover. Our way out of slavery, our way to freedom. Jesus was and is the blood of the Lamb painted over our doorposts, allowing us to escape our personal and often self-made slavery and go forth into the terrifying and exhilarating wilderness of our freedom. And this is the great power that a king has to set free the captives, to pardon crimes, to release prisoners. And this was Jesus' great mission. He echoed Isaiah's great proclamation, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Another inescapable truth, it seems to me, is that we who have experienced captivity, we who have as a savior, one who is imprisoned and tortured, are privileged to have a deeper understanding and a deeper sympathy for those who are captives. Captives of poverty, Captives of prison, captive by the frailty of their own bodies, captive by oppression of any kind, captive in the prison of unforgiveness. And I believe this is the only way in which Jesus wants us to imitate his kingship. He wants us to set free those we hold in unforgiveness. He wants us to do our part to release all the world's captives in any small an unroyal way that we can. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We strive to be a welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or through our website, OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.